Well, it's Thursday, and you are listening to yet another episode of Days of the New. I'm Kevin, as always, joined by my co-host, Nick. Nick, how the hell are you? What's going on, Kevin? I'm pretty good. It uh, it snowed today in Las Vegas. Well, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, well, in Henderson, which is like next to Las Vegas. But yeah, we got some snow. That's like uh, end of days, seven seals. I get no, no. It, it happens like once every few yeah. years. How, how are we feeling about that? So in North Carolina, we go out and get bread and milk. I don't know why, but if there is the threat of snow, you get your bread, you get your milk, maybe some kerosene, carton of cigarettes, and you ride that thing out. Is is that like a thing in Vegas? By snow, I mean like a dusting, man. It's still the desert <laughs> and it melts it already, <laughs> except in the mountains. You can never have too much bread and milk. Uh, I mean, yeah, unless you're a gluten-free, lactose-free household, then you can. Well, fuck you. You can choke on milk sandwiches. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Nick, I'm glad you asked because in our last season, uh, we did an episode on the Woodstock 99 documentary. When we were recording, you called that this one moment that stuck with me. I know, falling out of the number one spot, back to number three today, here is Corn with Freak on a Leash. In the moment, TRL became that cultural touch point for teenagers. It was must-see TV. We had all this, this inner genre of music melding together in an hour where that would never have happened even a few years ago. At the time, it felt like, it's awesome, like TRL is a place like the United Nations. Like, we all come together. Everybody coexisted sort of magically. But looking back on it now, you realize that we are really probably playing with fire. I'm sick of the Backstreet Boys on MTV Live. I'm sick of that <laughs> You know, it's bullshit. Don't hold back on me. I'm not holding back. I hate that Okay, so Nick, it was that one angry white guy in a parking lot who just could not stand the idea that other music existed. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember. I do. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And you had made comment about it of like everything in this guy's life had been tailored to please him. And the fact Mm -hmm. that there was something else that was popular, even if he wasn't going to consume it, its existence pissed him off. So I can't think of another moment in modern music where a band like The Offspring brings out effigies of boy bands and bludgeons them in front of a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people like you never saw Led Zeppelin on stage screaming, fuck Davy Jones and the monkeys. I'm like, <laughs> Molly Crew never stopped doing rails of coke off strippers' tits to give a shit about new kids on the block. <laughs> they were doing their own thing and in their own lanes. And they had wildly different audiences. And ultimately, like, who cares? There's enough money for everyone. So that's the question I want to ask today. How? In this brief window of time, did the mere existence of boys' bands fill young new metal fans with such revulsion? To do this, we need to reach across the aisle and speak with the experts on all things boy and band. So today, I want to welcome to the show Chinzia and Lydia from the podcast Boy Band Break. Welcome. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are boy bandologists, so yes. you, you definitely chose the right people. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I could handle this alone. Yes. Yeah, no, we, we are here to help you. We are we your Sherpas you. on this on this voyage back in time. Let's go. This is awesome. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for being here. Tell me a little bit about how you came to start Boy Band Break, because y'all are like coming up on 300 episodes pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're yeah, around 230-ish right yeah. now. So, um, well, first of all, we know nothing about podcasts. Um, <laughs> and my one best friend was like, but we know a lot about boy bands. And he's like, you know what? You should start a podcast about boy bands. 
And we're like, nobody's going to listen to it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, they will. Eh, that's still debatable. But we keep chugging along because that's what we do. Guys. We got a thousand so, subs on YouTube. Then. Yes, we actually just got our so, first so thousand, like we got so. we got some people. You know, but yeah. uh, we've been doing it for about five years. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I think that's what we, we got, can monetize. Yeah, yeah well, we got too much <laughs> copyrighted material, uh, but we'll yeah, yeah. Nuts. When uh yeah when we um we've been pretty lucky so far but we did uh one episode where we played a clip of like a recent pop song and it, the whole episode it. got scrubbed yeah. right off yeah the exactly it yeah. sucks for sure but yeah sure. um so we essentially made it be- well Chenzia made it <laughs> you made it I I came on on episode five I we're actually sisters. so we're si- well, ask us if we're sisters ask us if we're sisters are, are you sisters? sisters no yes <laughs> man. <laughs> Night of the Roxbury reference for anyone who has not Yep. Yes, there you go. So, so, uh, so, um, so yeah, so it was my two friends that I met through the Backstreet Boys, and we decided we would do a podcast, and then we had Lydia on as a special guest for an sync episode, I believe. Yeah. And then she just stayed the whole time. I so, never left. Yeah. Uh, I believe we're on, like, almost five years now. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yes. And so does it like, does it piss you off that like Lance Bass is now coming out with his own boy band podcast? I think it's called Frosted Tips. No, we I, love I it. actually love it because he actually is intro- uh, interviewing a lot of the boy bands from the time. And <laughs> I was just okay. listening to uh, the most recent episode with Joey Fatone. And he was talking, and they were talking about when he dated Lena from Aqua. And I was like, no one else remembers this happening. So I was like, thank you. Thank you for bringing this up and validating right. me. Like, yeah. It was a very brief period of time when I was like, Joey and Lena are dating. So it was yeah, a thing in the, the you're, you're back in my day. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, so we're Canadian, um, obviously. Not, I don't know why, but that's <laughs> obvious. obvious. I have I no idea know. why that'd be obvious. But. I could tell by the moose walking around in the background. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, from this hat. Uh, so, I know you're going to talk about MTV a lot. We didn't mm-hmm. have MTV when we were kids. We had Much Music. Which um, is we eventually family. got MTV, but it was different back then. But yeah, Much Music essentially basically the same thing. We played music videos. They competed against each other. It was metal, new metal, and boy bands and pop stars and all that stuff. So it was and probably like a lot much. of Sum 41. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, got so- we got stories about Sum 41, actually. Um, yeah, and we also had something called YTV, which was like youth television. And like they had their own. The like, YTV hit list. The YTV so every list. Sunday there would be like a countdown of the top yeah. 10 or 30 Yeah, songs. exactly. Yeah. That's actually where they, they brought in a lot of British boy bands and stuff for that. Yeah. Too, like so. we, Canada was an interesting place to be in the early 2000s because we got influences from America, from Canada, from the UK. Like it was like we, we got like a total mission mash of everything which was great and i don't know if you guys know this but canada has this rule for called CanCon. CanCon. have you heard so you that? have to play 30 35 no. canadian content it's mandatory uh, oh, it's well, mandatory, mandatory by the government so by so it's either and it's something it's called maple so it's music artist producer and label maybe so you need to have two of the four for it to be considered canadian so for example even though brian adams was canadian because he did his albums in the States and things like that, his, he was not considered part of CanCon. So it was like a whole big thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that sounds really great in, in theory, um, like communism, but, um, you know, like communism, it sounds like you probably have to listen to a lot of Nickelback. <laughs> yes. Yeah, actually. Yeah, sure, definitely. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So to start, I want yeah, to yes. briefly address the history of the modern boy band. In my research, it could be argued that barbershop quartets or doo-wop groups are the forebears of the genre, and that the essence of what constitutes a boy band can be summed up as such. A vocal group consisting of young male singers, usually in their teenage years or in their 20s, 
singing love songs and often performing choreographed routines that can be like the agreed upon playing field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, except for one direction, they don't do choreography. Dance. Okay. But by and large. For the the general amount. Yes. Yes. That's a much different origin story than the music we normally cover, where you have to be from like Bakersfield, (laughs) California and have a crystal meth habit. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of folks will argue that the Beatles are the first modern boy bands. And I can't decide if that's just like a super lazy hot take or if that's the truth. So I'm interested. What do you think is the first boy band? So we have really like we've discussed this a few times because you also you have your the Beatles and the monkeys and stuff. The difference with like the Beatles is that they played instruments and a lot of the modern mm-hmm. boy bands do not play instruments or like a member will play guitar or drums, but not sure. for the whole thing. Right. So it's more of like a singing and dancing group. Yeah. Okay. I think of the modern era. New Kids on the Block, uh, probably New Edition. Oh, well, Jackson 5. Jackson 5 mm-hmm. kind of started. Menudo. Yes. Yeah, Menudo. Menudo. Yeah, exactly. Menudo. Um, <laughs> yeah. New Kids on the Block gets a lot of credit. They do. Boys they to do. Men, those ones, those are kind of like the main ones. And then it kind of went to your Backstreet in Sync. Okay. Then O-Town, 98 Degrees. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely like they, I feel like the, <laughs> yeah. the fanatic-y stuff started with the Beatles, but I feel like more modern boy bands would probably be more in the 80s, early okay. 90s. I know. Yeah. To your point, in the 60s and 70s, you had the groups like Jackson 5, the Osmond Brothers, Partridge mm-hmm. Family, and then you also had your yep. solo heartthrobs like Andy Gibb, Sean Cassidy, and Donovan. And that's fine. That's kind of like its own thing. There's a little bit more musicality and less uh, on showmanship, um, you know, except for the Jackson 5. Oh, the monkeys. The monkeys. Were and the monkeys, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Um, what, where we really want to, like, kickstart this thing is uh, the 80s. And you had mega groups like New Edition and Menudo. But there was one boy band that brought that genre to an entirely new level. And of course, I'm talking about New Kids on the Block. Oh, 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 you bet. That was my first concert. Really? Shut up. Yeah, New Kids on the Block at Poplar Creek, which is like an outdoor venue somewhere north of Chicago. Were you hanging Dude. tough over there? Absolutely. I, I had a cool vest on. I was in fourth grade. Did you grade. have the bedding awesome. and like the little action figures? I don't think you uh, my sister oh, did. There you go. My, okay. my younger sister. Ah, uh, I remember like I was at a mall with my mom and I bought like a Tiger Beat magazine because it had New Kids on the Block on it. And I brought it home and my dad was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Realized what I had purchased. Aww. You need to know what their favorite colors are or else how are you going to know if they like you, right? right? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this was pre-internet days, guys. We had little to no yep. information. Yes. That magazines were our lifeline. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. Yeah, so. yeah agreed. New Kids on the Block was the product of record producer Maurice Starr. Starr had found previous success with the creation of New Edition, and he set his sights on creating a white counterpart act because this was the Reagan 80s and shit was wildly racist. Unfortunately, Also, I believe that New Edition fired Maurice, so I think that was his way to get back at them was to New Kids. Is he a, is he a general or is he like Idi Amin? Because he calls himself General Maurice Starr, and on his Instagram is like a picture of him like stealing some sort of crazy valor. It's just like he has just medals what? all over his shirt. Who knows? Not that we know of, but I mean, it's possible. He, very possible. Who knows? He, okay. Um, what's interesting though is that New Kids actually like Maurice Starr, where I feel like a lot of times when these artists. Um, these managers take over and do all this mm-hmm. stuff. They uh, they grow to hate them. Yes, they hate them. They fire them. They sue them. All these things. And we'll get Whereas, there too. Yeah. So when um, when I went to the Apollo concert in New York City. 
for New Kids 30th anniversary, I think, mm-hmm. uh, they had a whole big tribute to Maurice Lake. So it was wow. like, oh, okay. So it was sort of like, okay, I guess they like him. It's not a situation. I mean, situation. you wouldn't do a tribute to someone you hated unless <laughs> yeah. it was some sort of weird revenge thing. True. Yeah. Yeah. So I found this article from 1989 in the LA Times where they interview Maurice Starr. Oh. And this is, this shit is crazy to me that it made it to print. But what makes the New Kids really different from any other successful white teen vocal group is their style. It's black. Very black. Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. And then, here's a quote quote (laughs) from Maurice. These are white kids who are black, Star insisted. They have white skins, but they're black. They have soul. They sing black. Now, for those of you who uh, might need a refresher... (laughs) Yeah. Your uh. kids on the block sound like. Listen up, everybody, if you want to take a chance. Just get on the floor and do the new kids dance. Don't worry about nothing because it won't take long. We're going to put you in a trance with a funky song. Mind you, this is around the same time that Fuck the Police came out. So. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what strikes me about it is like how thin the production is. There's just nothing going on in the music at all, except a lot a lot more cowbells than are <laughs> a lot of whistles. Yeah, like yeah, for yeah. sure, definitely. To Maurice's credit, all right. So I will say, <laughs> I know it sounds okay. It sounds weird. Okay, but to Maurice's credit, a lot of even like Elvis, for example, he uh, was a white guy, but had a lot of musical influence in in black culture. And mm-hmm. he became popular because he was a white guy. So this is kind of like the same thing. Ra- yeah, racism bad. We all know racism bad, you know. <laughs> but like, I'm thinking that's probably you heard what it he here first. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. Yeah. So like, I think that's kind of like where he was that's coming probably, from. That's a good idea. You know maybe what I mean? Did, where it's just like, unfortunately, that. a lot of white artists steal from black culture and then rise to fame, and, and the black people are like, what the. Like, <laughs> I wrote that shit. You know what I mean? So, like, I get it. It's, it's, I get what he was trying to say, but yeah, it does not come yeah, off. Super, not well. PC at yeah, all. Yeah. But all the problematic cultural leanings of the time aside, the seeds of war between new metal and boy bands were already planted all the way back then. So, at the height of New Kids' popularity, they are without a doubt the biggest act on the planet. One of my favorite thing about the New Kids era yeah. was, you know, obviously they were just like, they had all the merchandise, yes. right? But the funny thing is because they were so popular, you'd go to the store to look for New Kids stuff and there'd just be a lot of fucking Dannys. <laughs> <laughs> so There's always like that yeah. one member that nobody likes. Right. Yeah. And like then secondarily, there'd be some Johns, yeah. but the other guys, those guys, those Johnny, are the guys Joey, Jordan, they're no, flying they're off the shelves. Yeah. 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 yeah they're like through like three tiers of new kids members. <laughs> how many girl, how many girls on Christmas morning do you think were crying when they just unwrapped the, the Danny? Yeah. I like Joey. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Kevin, continue. please. I love where this is going. Hanging tough went eight times platinum, which no other album will do again. And in 1990, they embarked on the Magic Summer Tour, which was a 22-month world tour playing 220 shows, oh, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's a that's yeah, brutal. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing I learned about that. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but uh, the summer leg of this tour was sponsored by Coca-Cola to promote their Magic Can giveaway. Yes, you, it was. Yes. Okay, you, you remember this, Nick? Do you remember there this was- at all? 
there was like, remember, remember? Uh, I'm going to quote from an uh, article in the advertising blog, Die Line. The patented beverage packaging, dubbed magic cans, were designed to look and feel like a regular soda can. The hidden prizes created a national treasure hunt with an unexpected and instant win possible with every purchase. Inside the magic can, Coca-Cola enclosed a spring-loaded mechanism with a watertight compartment. To trick prize hunters, they filled the inside of the vessel with chlorinated water to give the prize cans the weight and feel of cans filled with Coca-Cola. To prevent customers from consuming the water inside, they added a harmless but fart-smelling chemical, ammonium <laughs> sulfate. Oh, oh, no. So, first off, this is just peak chef's kiss capitalism. <laughs> hey, buy a Coke, and if you're lucky, it'll be filled with fart water fart. that spits a dollar at you. Oh <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, the FDA was on cocaine during this time, too. <laughs> so... It actually spit a dollar bill out or a voucher for Coke. So there were just grimy-ass dollar bills rolled up in cans of water and smelled like shit. Some of them strippers' asses. You know there's a corner store somewhere (laughs) that has one of these left, probably. If you can find them on eBay, they they fetch a price. So you can probably guess where this is going. The launch mechanisms failed. And oh, some no. people were hospitalized after hearing <laughs> the fact that their Coke smelled like ass and drank it anyway. <laughs> no! Oh, my God. And what's better? Because the look and feel of the faulty cans was identical to an actual can of Coke. They couldn't issue a recall. So, oh, no. <laughs> so they cut the advertising campaign short. Uh, and they had a spot that showed new kids on the block. And they just added an extra voiceover from Jordan Knight warning if you have a winning can, don't drink the liquid. Amazing. Back to the war. If you haven't guessed, the new kids are at private jet level now. And it's at this time that the kids rent a plane from an aviation entrepreneur by the name of Lou Pearlman. Yep. Uh, Lou. Lou Pearlman is a fascinating character. Yep. The only child of High and Renee Pearlman. Lou was born in 1954 in Flushing, Queens. Lou was um, an unfortunate child in pretty much every regard. He was a doughy child who wore his pants, hiked up around his nipples with a pocket protector to complete the fit. He didn't play with any of the other neighborhood kids and was often the target of their bullying. Yep. And it also didn't help that Lou was a bit of a fabulist. The kid lied a lot, but like every good grifter, he kept a little nugget of truth in the lies. Mm-hmm. Like when he got Hart Garfunkel to show up at his bar mitzvah. Yes. So. Yep. Cause it's his cousin. It's his cousin. It is his cousin. Yeah, See, there's yeah. a little bit of truth there. Mm-hmm. The one thing Lou unabashedly loved was blimps. Pearlman's home was located across from the Flushing airport where he would watch blimps take off and land. Fast forward to 1980 and Lou is the founder of airship enterprises limited. And after a little insurance fraud, Lou was a millionaire and moved his budding empire to Orlando. Yeah, he the uh, Jordash jeans, the Jordash jean blimp. Yeah, so, so he-, he got a weather balloon and made it look like a blimp, and then he painted it with this like gold metal thing, and then it and its maiden voyage it went into flames and crashed, <laughs> and then he was able to take that money and then reinvest it in another. And, yeah, and that's exactly where he got his start. Yeah, um, fraud. A promotional stunt went haywire today. A blimp that was to be used to promote uh, Jordache jeans crashed very shortly after it took off at Lakehurst, New Jersey. 
Bill Lewis went down to Lakehurst. He has a report and a pair of jeans on what we see now. This is what's left of a brand new two and a half million dollar blimp. It crashed this morning on its maiden flight to advertise and publicize Jordash. The only one aboard, the pilot, unhurt. When it first took off, they were having problems getting lift, getting altitude. And oh, after about two minutes or three minutes while they were up in the air, they were having rudder problems because it started every time you applied power, it'd go into you know a couple of spins. The one I'm pretty sure everyone in this report is drunk. Probably. That's <laughs> quite the fabulous mustache on that guy. Yeah. That guy is 90% mustache. Yeah. And I, I like uh, I like everybody's uh, accent. Like they don't allow accents on local news anymore in America. Everybody sounds the same. But back then he's like, "Ah, fucking blimp, fucking crashed in the yard." <laughs> I know, right? It's the best. Oh my god! So he bought that bro broken blimp on purpose, eh? Like, like it was already a broken blimp. This knew. was all a stunt. He knew this. And was what he fail. painted it with would made it too heavy that it yeah. wouldn't lift off the ground. That's properly. hilarious. Like, yeah, Amazing. No, yeah, I don't You're, think you're supposed to paint a blimp. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you know, it's like one of my favorite. Yeah, but so. yeah, it, it's just I love I love Lou, and I I know it's like it's going to be a it's weird. It's like a very there's a, like love, a love hate relationship yeah. with Lou mm -hmm. because without Lou we wouldn't have all these boy bands. And they yeah, have success. Can I just say my second favorite thing about this around yeah. this blimp time <laughs> is then he then made an airline company and called Transcontinental Transcon Airline, and he had Transcontinental, and he took pictures of a toy airplane in front of the airport and cut off his hand so it looked like it was an actual plane because he lived across the street from the airfield. This, that's amazing. That's awesome. So like he like totally made this up. Oh, these are, he'd always say that they were his planes. Um, yeah, because he was, was a model actually, collector, right? So he would take pictures of his models and yeah, cut off the hand. So that way it looked like that was his fleet. So he would convince people that, that he had Oh yeah, I have these. Oh, invest in, I own these planes. It was in this moment that Lou would see the money-making potential of the boy band. After relocating to Orlando, Lou started Transcontinental Records. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Orlando for a minute. Yeah. This is the Bakersfield of boy bands. If Corn mm -hmm. had less meth and deserts and more stable, supportive single parent households and theme parks, you'd have Orlando. Yep. Yep. Accurate. <laughs> yeah. Accurate. Totally true. Yeah. It was like a cesspool boy of band hot, Mecca. young, attractive men. You had yeah, Disney, exactly. you had Universal, you had all these boys there, like Yeah, exactly. yeah, a lot yeah, a lot of them came in for that, right? Because like because the big yeah, the big uh companies, right? Or Universal, Disney, they hired young, attractive looking people, right? So like they they kind of fostered that culture in Orlando and lose like Give me some yummies over there. Yeah, like a shark to chum. Like, you're absolutely right. Uh, you've got Disney World and Universal. And it was a lightning rod for aspiring talent from everywhere. Like, the Disney Princess Breakfast Adventure needs its princesses. And the Mickey Mouse Club needs its Mouseketeers. Right. So there they went. Yeah. In 1992, Lou sets up a $3 million talent search and places an ad in the Orlando Sentinel to compose a vocal group... <clears throat> With a new kids on the block look, but with a boys to men sound. So not much has changed uh, <laughs> since the uh, casting call for the new kids. Yep. Oh, geez. Exactly. Yeah. But five unknown performers were chosen. AJ McLean, Howie Dora, Nick Carter, Kevin Richardson, Brian Luttrell. And with that, the Backstreet Boys were formed. 
This is a gross oversimplification because I looked at the Backstreet Boys Wikipedia and holy hell, there is so much drama and members in and out. And if you are interested in that, please tune into Boy Band Break because they will break it down for you in a way that this podcast could never hope to. Mm -hmm. I just want to give a quick shout out to Charlie Edwards, who Mm -hmm. not only was not in the Backstreet Boys, ended up getting kicked out of the group, uh, going to Club Med, uh, made it back for NSYNC, and then also left before they got famous. So he lightning struck Struck twice, and he's like, I'm going back to Club Med to teach golf. So yeah. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, can you imagine? Uh, no, no, I can't imagine. <laughs> like you're like, oh wow, this group it's I like was in the lottery and leaving it at home. You're like, they sound like the Slipknot of yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. Out the gate, Backstreet Boys were stars. Are, are you talking about popularity in America? Um, no, just overall. Okay, because they because so uh, it took a long time to get popular in America. In they Germany. started in Germany because because mm. because like because like it was said, the grunge scene. It was, was a grunge scene at the in, time. Oh, okay. So then, um, yeah, there was, yeah. So they had to start over in Europe, trickle to Canada, Canada trickled down into America. Trickle down. It works. Okay. So help me out because yeah. they released the Backstreet Boys and then Backstreet's Back. And then yep. they put those two together and released it again as Backstreet's Back. That was, yeah. So the American, so there's the Red Album. Yeah, the Red mm-hmm. Album. That came out in Europe and Canada. Yeah. Okay. And then when it came out in the States, they had kind of combined it, but it had the same name as Got the second it. album. It was, Which so is it weird. had some songs that were the same. Yeah. So because 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 the breakout song in America mm-hmm. was Backstreet's Back, but right. America they had never heard had of it Backstreet. So, so that, that's the weird part. But in, in Europe and Canada, we're like, yeah, Backstreet's Back. All right. Okay. So it's. <laughs> okay. So. That's the album that goes 14 times platinum in the United States. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So now they're huge. And here's where our boy Lou really starts to shine. So (laughs) using the same boilerplate, he goes on to create megastars in sync. And in doing so, he he sets the stage for a boy band versus boy band war, which will predate the new metal versus boy band war by just a little bit. Correct. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's amazing. So yeah, he's, he want he's like I there's Coke and Pepsi and I'm selling both. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, I think I was telling Nick before the show that Lou Pearlman deserves to go down in the Grifter Hall of Fame as yeah. one of the greatest to ever do it. Yep. Yeah. Well, he's, didn't end great. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? Like he made so many people suffer. It kind of it's like just desserts in a way. Yeah, but right. uh, yeah, no. Anyways. But yeah, essentially, Backstreet Boys didn't know that Lou was creating Insync. Lou it was kept like Insync a, a secret thing. on the books. Kept yeah, secret, yeah, called yeah, them the that. B Project or something. Had them there, <laughs> and then, but then told uh, when they started coming up, told. Backstreet that Insync hated them and told Insync that Backstreet so that he's tried to start rivalries within it. Yeah, with the fandoms. He's, can you imagine the slap fight that would have came out of that? <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting though is that that never happened. The thing that really it was a limo ride that changed everything. It was a limo ride after when we went to Challenge for the Children. Remember? Okay. Yeah. In Miami, uh, it was like a basketball game. Like Lou would also host this like charitable basketball game where like Insync versus Backstreet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what would happen is after, you know, they would separate. But but this one time they went to McDonald's together. It was what? Who was Brian? Brian. Uh, Justin. Possibly. And I like, know. I think maybe Nick or something. Anyways, oh. the two of them were just like, 
alone. Notes. They were alone for the first time ever. And then mm-hmm. they started talking. And then the story started lining up like, oh, is he doing this to you? Oh, yeah, he's doing this to us, too. Oh, my God. And then that's when she hit the fan. That's when lawsuits came, all the <laughs> stuff, right? It's like because Lou was trying to keep them separate for so long. And oh. this is the one, the, one, the one McDonald's limo ride that ruined it all. And oh, buddy. So, yeah. Nick, remember on the last episode where I said Slipknot had the worst contract in music? <laughs> yes. I am officially taking that back. Yep. So... In 2019, uh, Lance Bass put out the documentary, The Boy Band Con, The Lou yep. Perlman Stories. And if you're listening, please go watch it because it's, it's so an amazing good. documentary. But I want to share a quick clip where Lance breaks down just how fucked they got. Yeah, super fucked. So fucked. <laughs> <laughs> we were making uh, $35 a day, which was our per diem. And I remember thinking that was such a lot of money because this is all free. Everything, my life was free. Everywhere you'll ever stay is free, and we're gonna give you a per diem on top of that. I'm thinking I'm king of the castle at this point. No one worked harder than NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. No one. These guys didn't get a day off, never. And if they got a day off, I got them for a photo shoot. We'd been touring for about almost two years. Number one albums. Countless, countless radio promotions. Things were going great for us. This is as good as it gets right here. I remember this one trip to Los Angeles I was so excited about because Lou was hyping up the fact that this was going to be our first check presentation. And at this point, we've worked so hard and we've gotten zero. It's all kind of accumulated and they're just going to give it all to us in one batch in a check. And he takes us to Lowry's, a very lavish dinner. You know, Lou loved those big family dinners. We had all our family there. He had all the parents to come. At this time, they had sold over 10 million records. I was just kind of doing the math in my head, but I kept thinking, okay, if it's just a million dollars, divide it up by five, and Lance is gonna get $200,000. You'd start thinking in your head, like, what could it be? Is it six figures? Is it a million dollars? Like, what am I about to, like, fall into right now? My life is about to change. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is gonna get crazy. A lot of money now, this is gonna be nuts. I was on cloud nine. I was on top of the world at that point. I mean, we thought it was as big as we could possibly get. I open up the envelope, I see the check, and oh my gosh. Like my heart sunk and I I couldn't believe the number I was looking at. The reaction from everybody when they saw their checks was just astonishment. The check was $10,000. They got so fucked. (laughs) They got so fucked. It's sad. Some some accounts say $20,000, but it's definitely between $10,000 and $20,000. That's terrible. Lydia, let me break it down down for you. Slipknot has nine people in it. And oh, they, si- they signed a seven album deal to Roadrunner Records for $500,000. Oh, yeah. Wow. But okay. If you run the numbers, they made more than Instinct did. <laughs> and Slipknot did not have the insane amount of merchandise that Instinct had. Because oh, just think of true. all that shit. We, we bought so much shit. We made money selling in-sync lip glosses. On you would buy wholesale. I would buy wholesale and then sell them on eBay. For that's like, amazing. That's how I funded my concert tickets because I didn't have a job at the time. That's but, incredible. Uh, 
And then we'd also sell, this is, this would never happen nowadays. We we would take pictures at these events and sometimes they'd be good pictures. And then we would sell those on eBay. Like sell people the would want like a four by six picture. This is early internet days, guys. And now wow. like, could you imagine selling these? Cause we're like, ah, we can, we can print them for like five cents and then sell them for like $5 or whatever. Like it was like, I love we it. So we it sold Justin's yeah. water bottle. Remember okay, that was, that was Justin. like, yeah. Well, you know yeah, what? If just, back in the day, we could just crushed up a water bottle and said that Justin Timberlake drank <laughs> out of it. Uh, we included pictures we that did. it was the same type of water bottle. <laughs> Amazing. It wasn't the water bottle? I mean, yes, you're turning totally, into loo! It totally was Jenny. a water bottle. I digress. All of this is to say that boy bands are a massive business and a visual medium was needed to meet that demand. And thus, on September 14th of 1998, Total Request Live premiered on MTV. Canadians... Not so much. No, Sorry, we've heard, we, 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 we heard knew what it, it. We was. We knew what it okay. was, yeah. for sure. Because, okay, so... it would also be in the magazines and things like that. There's, too. like, this saying, if America sneezes, Canada gets a cold. You know what I mean? So, like, right. you you guys are very influential to us, too, right? So, like, like anytime, like, like, like the, you had TRL, mm-hmm. our answer to TRL was much music, right. right? So, like, they're like, oh, we gotta do something Canadian shit. You know, so, like, yeah, okay. we definitely knew what it was, so, though. I was like, that was, like, the thing. All right, so... For those who may be too young or too old to remember, the format worked like this. TRL played the 10 most requested music videos of the day as voted by viewers via phone or online. Or fax. We had fax. Did you guys have... And then, yes, we'd have combat day clips, which is, they're trying to be like French, right? So like combating clips, I guess. I don't know. That's what it really means. We have Uh, to have So you could, so it would be like, it would be like Slipknot versus Backstreet Boys. And then you would like, you could call in or you could send a fax yeah, and you're, fax they in. would read your fax on air yeah. sometimes. So that was like, our parents had a fax machine. So I was like, yeah, dad had much a business. Music. We're like, like, oh, much music <laughs> in my face. Mom, get me some more toner. I got a vote for Slipknot. Right? Exactly. Legit. 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 It's yeah, sorry. But yes, yeah, sorry. you definitely have, you so got, yeah, you got oh, your, so we you got, have one up on you guys. That's, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> Uh, and then yeah. they would also have, you know, the hottest acts of the day would show up uh, to the studio in Times Square to shill whatever movie or album they had coming out. And it's not an understatement to say that for a suburban teen in America, TRL was the pulse of the culture. And mm-hmm. this is where the war of new metal versus boy bands would begin. Former VJ Dave Holmes penned an article for Stereogum about this subject, which I'm going to quote from. He writes, in the TRL era, the rivalries were numerous and usually over artists who were fundamentally similar. NSYNC versus Backstreet Boys, Christina versus Britney, LFO versus 98 Degrees, which we kind of addressed. (laughs) One big fight picked up on the daily top 10 once the show got up and moving. It pit two very different genres against one another, pop versus new metal. And he's not wrong. Uh New metal came out of nowhere. So in 1998, Backstreet Boys, I'll Never Break Your Heart, holds the number one slot seven times on TRL and is neck and neck with InSync's Tearing Up My Heart. Those two traps leapfrog over one another for three months until InSync releases God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You and the Backstreet Boys respond with All I Have to Give. That's short-lived because in December, InSync releases Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, which effectively knocks Backstreet Boys out of the running. 99 kicks off in the same manner. All I have to give, and God must have spent a little bit more time on you, exchange blows until the end of February, 
When a band by the name of Corn takes the number one slot with Freak on a leash. Freak. And it is from there that the landscape shifts. And now new metal is Na- there. New metal is just, it was not there. And then it is there. Nick, yeah. did you ever sit down and watch TRL and have any vested interest in? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I was starting to age out. Mm-hmm. I think like my MTV years, I was a little bit younger because I graduated high school in 1999. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, and I think that like Nelson. the Todd McFarlane directed animated oh, video had to play tons into this, right? Because mm-hmm. like Spawn. I mean, it was, and, yeah. 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 From there, it, the landscape shifts. Now, all I have to give is competing against Freak on a Leash. But then Insync comes back with God must have spent him a little bit more time on you. But wait, a new challenger appears. Newcomer Britney Spears enters the ring with Baby one more time. Oh, Cord, yeah. is swift, Cord is swift to react, taking the number one spot yet again. Spears is having none of it and yet again assumes the throne. Corn undeterred, swings back. Freak on a leash is on top. And oh my God, 98 degrees comes off the top rope with the hardest thing. Oof, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you get the idea though. Like this was high drama being fought at live. And we held the power to help our chosen champions ascend to the top of the pop culture mountain. Which You're is like, a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah because exactly. Well, as teens, some- we had no say in any aspect of our lives. Yep. So this is why this held true. Like this was this was like so important. Ride or die. Gotta get the guys right. That's, a, that's an amazing observation. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. There was something that you could have control over. That's that's wild. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Holmes continues as clean factory fresh pop music began to fill up the new generation's American bandstand. The young girls swooned. And as usually happens when young girls get into something, pierced ears, My Little Pony, bisexuality, young boys muscle their way in and try to find a way to ruin it. For those boys, there was a new metal. And I kind of get that, but for me, it was more that I would get home from a shitty day of high school where I was constantly felt like a loser and an outsider, and I'd flip on TRL and get blasted by a bunch of wealthy Dudes with washboard abs singing about love. And in the words of DMX, don't hit me with that positive shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's true. The angsty true. stuff. Yeah, you know, that's I just know. where I was at. Well, like growing boys and growing girls need different things, right? Precisely. I mean, like women, we need like, we need love and passion and romance and guys just like, I just want to know that my voice is being heard and I'm important. Yeah, and we want to break some shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Here's where um, I think Holmes does make a super good observation. My other explanation is that the boys simply wanted to watch TRL and were afraid of being called gay for it. Yep. There was a barrier entry, but as long as there was something aggro and filthy on screen for a few minutes, an hour, they felt safe to watch the countdown and pretend not to enjoy Christina Aguilera's come on over baby. Right. I think that's 100% true. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would agree with that. Here, here's the paradoxical thing, right? If, like, as as a man during that time, if you were to actually learn the lyrics and do the do the like, choreography, yeah. you'd probably you pull a lot of puss. You, want. you know, 100%. like no sense, right? And so it's just it's very, it, but yeah, like, like you're back, counterproductive to yourself because you're missing out on this. Right. Yeah, this is the thing, and like and like. You know, we've come a long way with like with like gay rights and, yeah. and acceptance with with gay culture, mm-hmm. and um, and back then it just wasn't where we are now. Absolutely, you know not. what I mean. So like, so Absolutely. being called gay was like, 
I'm not gay. Like it was like very yeah. like, I gotta be and... more aggressive and anti whatever because yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like there, there was. I mean, pe- gay people have existed throughout the entire planet throughout time. There's always been gay people. You know what I mean? But like, um, it's taboo. In, I guess. It, yeah, like, it's, it's just been yeah. taboo. I mean, but, like, in this in this time in 1999 on yeah. the same album with Freak and Alish. Corn released a song with Fred Durst where they just basically call each other homophobic slurs over, over and over and again. over. Yeah. <laughs> and like that would to- totally normal. So the big four of TRL pop into my mind as Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera. So mm-hmm. obviously two of these are not bands nor boys. I'm curious where these two female artists fell in terms of your fandom? Ah, well... Well, Britney was dating Justin at the time, yes. so I feel like people mostly They were mostly like pop royalty. Yes. Okay. They were like... You no, know, they, they had that... Matching uh, denim. The, oh, yeah, the oh, denim suits. I feel like Britney was, even though she also had dirty lyrics in her song, she was the more like clean mm-hmm. and clean cut friend and then christina was like the dirty the one, dirty like, girl oh. yeah so like it was interesting because like yeah they're essentially like two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. right so britney was definitely like in with the with the lewdness mm-hmm. christina yeah. i think was part of a different uh, i don't think she was managed by Lou. no, no she wasn't she managed wasn't. By but what's interesting is whoever cast the mickey mouse club was a genius because yeah. in there you had christina britney you had jc and justin from nsync you had carrie russell you had ryan gosling I think that's kind of like the main the yeah, main pretty, group of that pretty crazy and that just like they exploded after mickey mouse club was done and yeah. they all had like huge careers yeah. Yeah, that, they have. So. yeah yeah how do you think that works i think this child is gonna grow up to be hot <laughs> yeah right <laughs> anyways but yeah so like the the girls did fit in like that was like the boys answer to the pop uh-huh. right because like pop music was you know music is cyclical right we got we go through like stages of like oh we like this now we hate this right so like so backstreet and nsync was like the girls answer mm-hmm. And Christina and Brittany were like the boys' answer to okay. pop music at the time. So, so they all they all do fit together. So that that does that does jive. Awesome. So, whereas the boys did battle in the "you suck, no you suck" manner, the girls were subject to the number one new metal trope: misogyny. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. So, of course, new metal compatriot Eminem is top of mind in the way he treated both Spears and Aguilera. Looping Fred Durst into that as well. What I find truly weird is that MTV and other media outlets tried their damnedest on two occasions to make Fred Durst the Lothario of the pop world. We'll start with Christina. In January of 2000, Rolling Stone published the article, Christina Aguilera has eyes for Fred Durst. Teen queen Aguilera wants to take a bad boy to the Grammys. She's quoted as saying... He wanted me to be his date for the MTV Video Music Awards, uh, said Aguilera, who is nominated for Best New Artist and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. But it was Aguilera's record company, not the 19-year-old singer, who nixed the idea. They were like, no, no, Aguilera says. But in the future, I'll probably do something like that. Pause. I want to remind everyone that at this time, Fred Durst was 30 years old. Okay, I was just, gonna, I was just was going to Google that because I was like, he always looked old. He was so. 30 and she was 19. Okay. Imagine wow. all our surprise when on September 7th of 2000, Fred joined Christina for a performance on the VMAs. And we're going to watch a little bit of that. Yay! Yay! Huh? I don't think it's fair. 
nobody cares. Can you lead a hole? Down inside of me. Can you leave a scar? Can anybody see? That was terrible. That was amazing. Yeah, it didn't work. They just threw that together. <laughs> they did. Yeah. It's like it's too random. Well, probably because of the, the, you know, it was like, oh, they're talking about a shit. Oh my God, they're on stage together. I'm again. You uh, are 100% correct. On October 3rd, MTV ran a news article about the fallout from this uh, from this never heard of crossover, these the star-crossed lovers. While some saw the move as a step towards unity in the pop world, <laughs> many others, including filter frontman Richard Patrick, viewed the Limp Biscuit singer's stage time with Aguilera as a major embarrassment to the rock world. Fred getting on stage with Christina Aguilera embarrassed us all, Patrick told MTV News in the wake of the performance. And some fans seem to agree. One MTV.com user called Durst a pop-loving piece of frozen dog shit. Ah! Wow. <laughs> While another tagged him a hypocritical egomaniac. Yet another simply stated the VMA appearance was about the worst moment in music this year. Oh, my God. Yeah. After eliciting such charged reactions, Durst finally explained his reasons for hitting the stage with the pop star and shrugged off his critics. I already told you guys before, I did it all for the nookie, man. That's why I did <laughs> I swear to God he said that. Okay. He to, uh, Durst fun. told MTV while attending a party at the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, that was a thing back so, then. Yeah. Uh, so that was October 3rd. October 4th, MTV ran another article that captured Aguilera's response. And I quote, As it happens, Aguilera was padding around her house on the morning of October 4th and happened to hear Durst's comments on TV. You wish you got some nookie from it, Aguilera responded to an MTV camera crew after she caught Durst's explanation on air. He got no nookie. That didn't happen, okay? Aguilera explained. I just want to clear the table right here. And the thing with Carson Daly, too, Eminem's whole song did not happen, okay? It just didn't. But it's some crazy stuff that people want to insinuate and that people want to say, and it's hurtful. It's worth mentioning that on October 17th, Limp Biscuit would be releasing their third studio album. Mm. Mm. Doing it all for the publicity. That's yes. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But yeah, that's for sure, because... He's got to look cool in front of all the other yeah, like, good old fashioned slut shaming. Exactly. Like yep. Yep. Which is a huge part of new yeah. Yikes. Yikes. So, but then again, it could be totally possible that that the uh, incredibly attractive nineteen year old pop star just couldn't resist the the guy who looked like he rolled out of bed and put on a hat. Like, what the fuck right. is this? Yeah. Yeah. Some effort there, buddy. Yeah. With Mr. Camo shorts. This is why we like the boy banders, because the hat is to cover the baldness. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's very bald. He's got that. He, yeah, he was a wig on stage. He's got now. that, like, uh, you know, like. Oh, like the monk thing? The, yeah, the monk, the monk guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In 2003, he tried the same shit, but this time with Britney Spears. Uh, uh, nope. Well protected. Yeah. I have a uh, 
a Sydney Morning Herald news article from March 2nd, 2003 that says, Britney, not that innocent, says Limp Bizkit frontman. Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah, he, he tried to, um, he went on Howard Stern always saying Howard that like, Stern, oh, man. always, yeah, he, he tried, he tried the same exact formula, like, oh God, we're just made for each other. And she goes, no, we're not. And then he doubles down on it, but the narrative didn't take and he moved on kind of. Because in 2009, Durst reignited the rumors, which is pretty disgusting, considering that at this juncture in Spears' life, she began a very public meltdown, mm-hmm. uh, getting placed on a 5150 hold, and all yep. this other gruesome stuff happened. We really don't need to get into it, but uh, it leaves Durst seeming like a big fucking loser. But yep, yep. All that is to say, it's all engineered. Every yep. single part of the entire story is just that a story. It was crafted by people like Lou Pearlman and Carson Daly, Dave Holmes, and Fred Durst. And in the grand scheme of things, this war was really short-lived. Korn's last appearance in the number one spot on TRL was a one-time appearance of their video, Here to Stay, in 2002. Limp Biscuit's last appearance in the number one spot was in March of 2001 with Roland. Yep. And- you had the odd appearance from POD, but if you look back at it, who was at the number one spot? And it's not even close. B2K, BB Mac, O-Town, Nick Carter, all these acts endured beyond new metals, birth, rise, and fall. So what does that tell us? I, I don't know. I, I mean, would you like our educated <laughs> yeah. opinion? Sure. Okay. Yes, please. Uh, uh, okay, women have uh, expendable income when it comes to <laughs> buying things that make us feel good. Um, positivity will always win over negativity, right? You can only be angry for so long. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, uh, like the Backstreet Boys, they have the they have like everything. They got the full gambit. They got the "I love you, let's do it." We broke up. I'm sad. Like the all the full gambit of songs. We I. Oof. Where it's everywhere, right? That's it covers a whole person's life essentially. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, just like anger and, and hostility and shit like that. Like it, it I mean, while great and a very valid response because there are things yeah. that make you angry. Just sometimes, sometimes you just need to you, you know, know what I mean? Like it's uh and- I, I think that women are more likely to spend money on merch than men are sometimes. Yeah, just just yeah, women would be more likely to go out and buy the CDs and do all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to just yeah. downloading it on Napster or whatever. Right. Like it is. It is funny because uh, like a lot of uh, there's a current trope of like singers and punk and hardcore bands as they get older they pivot start playing like country mm-hmm. movies yes. because like I'm 40 and I don't want to scream into a right. Yeah, I mean that's damaging to your vocal cords too, yeah, right? That's like true. good point. I mean, and singing for long periods of time is going to do that to you. Even like even Brian Literal from the Backstreet Boys. I mean, he's had a lot of vocal damage, yeah, right? Just because he's been singing it for like 40 years, 30 right? years, 30 years. Yeah, 30 years. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's I mean, that's my opinion. Shindy, what's your opinion? Yeah, no, I think that's uh, I think yeah, that's a pretty know. accurate assessment. And women so. are not going to want to buy shit where they're talking down about women. Like, you know, really? Oh, yeah. Bitches. I don't want to oh. buy them. I'm a hoe and a bitch. So. Here's some money. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you know. Uh, okay, where are they now? Well, the members of Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were never heard from again. What? Uh, no, no, they've all gone on to have success in their own right. Obviously, there's Justin Timberlake, and yeah. I think one of the Backstreet Boys got pilled and is into QAnon. And what? Yeah. Which one? Oh, oh, Ryan. yeah. We, we don't want to uh, talk about that. Oh, so, yes. Okay, I forgot. Sorry. This. If you want to hear more about that, again, I... 
can't urge you enough to tune into Boy Band Break, where they break it down for you. In 2006, our boy Lou Pearlman was uncovered as perpetrating the longest-running Ponzi scheme in American history and had defrauded investors out of more than $1 billion. Yeah, he did. It was a billion. On May 21st, 2008, Perlman was sentenced to 25 years in prison on charges of conspiracy, money laundering, and making false statements during a bankruptcy proceeding. Five days before his sentencing in, Perlman requested a telephone and internet connection two days a week to continue to promote bans. Uh, he was denied this request. <laughs> yeah, he tried Can to Can I just jail. say a really quick thing about how he was caught? Oh, uh, you didn't even like, mention the best part, Kevin. This is like the best part of what happened. So obviously all these boy band fangirls all know who Lou Perlin is. Everybody. So he's on the run. So he, they they shredded a whole bunch of stuff um, in Transcon offices. They did all Close this stuff. Down. He yeah. takes off. He goes. He flies he to yeah. Thailand. Thailand. So he's in Thailand and he's at a hotel there. The FBI somehow got a tip that he might be at this this place. Um, mm-hmm. And then so they had sent some FBI agents. So then this, this, guy, this fan from Germany saw Lou there, took a picture of him. And sent it to the FBI. And in the background of the picture are the FBI agents who are supposed to be tracking down Lou in the same restaurant. Have no idea that he's there. And the name that he um, checked himself into the hotel was Incognito Johnson. (laughs) Was the name that he... That Uh, was his fake name. I think, was he not found with like a a male companion who is underage? Possibly. Uh, I don't know. Yes. But anyways, he was eventually found because this German tourist because, yeah. took a picture of him and sent it to the FBI and said, hey, aren't you looking for this guy? Yeah. Like, he's right here. He's incredible. Fucking, yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. Crazy. In 2016, he suffered a cardiac arrest and passed away at the age of 62. So yep. hopefully he's grifting up in heaven. <laughs> uh, grifting Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> I want to end this episode yeah. with a look at how far we've come. Today's kids aren't siloed. They embrace and enjoy whatever the hell they want, whenever the hell they want, right from their phones. For a teeny bopper or a high school misanthrope, it's an awesome time for discovering music and carving out your little place in the world. In the words of Rocky Balboa, after he punched communism to death on Christmas Day, If I can change, and you can change, you can change. And now I will leave you with this. Here's Corn singing. Tell me why it ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why it ain't nothing but a myth. Tell me why I never never hear you say. I want it that way. Yeah. That was amazing. I think we finally come full circle. Uh, Chinzia, Lydia, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you, you for having you. us. Thanks so much. So Thanks so much, guys. And I just have yeah. to say, like, how does it feel that you guys have two of the most popular boy band names? Kevin and Nick, hello. Backstreet. <laughs> oh, that's Jonas Brothers, Backstreet. Yeah, you got the Never facial hair. I mean, we're, you guys are already uh, two-fifths of a boy band here. You just need three more guys. Three more and guys and you to go. Yeah, there we go. New metal boy band. Amazing. Amazing. Well, guys, uh, thank you again for tuning in. If you are interested in following boy band break, where can people find you online? So uh, the spelling is B-O-Y. B-A-N-D-B-R-E-A-K. 
And you can find us on YouTube and Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're on there. So you got it. Yeah. Awesome. You can find us on Instagram at Days of the New. That's D A Y Z of the N U. You can find me on Instagram at K J D E L U R Y. You can find me on Instagram at Nick underscore the underscore knife. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, big thanks again to Chinzia and Lydia from Boy Band Break. We will see you next week with a mosh pit. And that's about it. Bye. Bye. Bye! Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs 86. You, you were there. there.